I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to This Week in Oil and Gas. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Episode 33, welcome in, Mr. LaCour. Awesome to be here. How you doing, James? I am frustrated, as you know, with technology. <laughs> we just switched from Google Hangouts back to Skype. Strange. Yeah, our listeners aren't going to know the, the toil and trouble we went through just to try to get this thing recorded today. Yeah, we just had four and a half, uh, three and a half, almost four minutes go in there, but uh, Google Hangouts said no, uh, go back to Skype. So here we are at episode 33 um, having a great week. I'm James Hahn II from Tribe Rocket. We're a sales-driven marketing firm. We help people tell the right story to the right people in the marketplace. And that basically means when you send your sales team out and they sit down with a prospect, they're able to communicate what you do in human language that makes the prospect say, wow, that's exactly what I'm looking for. What about you, Mark? Uh, Mark with Modalpoint.com. We are the oil and gas sales experts. And I got pinged on that uh, a little while ago. And uh, somebody actually wanted, wanted me to explain what the heck does that mean. So we are a market research company totally focused on the oil and gas industry. We go out and we figure out where your product or service fits so that you can sell to the oil and gas industry. So that's what we do. Right. And then when he's done, I can come and help you with the story. Yep. Complimentary business. All right, so perfect. Let's start off with uh, John Oliver, a British uh, comedian who sometimes is spot on and other times is a freaking jackass. So, yeah, yeah, so here's the this, here he is being a jackass. Yeah, you sent me this video, and it's 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 almost criminal the way that he misrepresents the oil and gas industry. Um, he obviously doesn't not know the industry. He's obviously throwing out numbers for um for for shock value. Um, the, even the way the video was edited, I mean, it's just he's. You know, and how the hell do you think he got to the studio that day? Think he flew? Think he rode a bicycle? No. You know, where are the lights come from? Where's electricity? Well, how did he immigrate from Britain? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, you know, don't talk about it's okay if you have a different opinion than, than me or James or anybody else. That's cool, right? We're in America. That's what's great about this country. But don't misrepresent stuff. Just try to get your, your ratings up because that's just wrong. The thing that really, really upset me about this particular thing this this particular episode is that is that he you know he's got his rhetorical style and it's it's the same every week and he takes down and and he's created some positive change in in this case though the thing that really pissed me off to put it bluntly was when he he leans in and he's get this oasis petroleum didn't ever have an employee on site oh and it's like dude you don't work in this industry. You don't know. Like, we have operators and we have service companies. Operators hire all these other people. That's and right. that's how it works across the entire industry. But he, he, he leans in and hits this point like, he, like he's, he's, he's exposing some hidden story. Yeah. And, you know, he starts talking about how unsafe this industry is. And I got news for you. Um, um, in the U.S., oil and gas is equal in safety to real estate. So, you know, it's, it's, we've turned it to a very safe industry. It's a great place to work. Um, employs a lot of people. People get paid really well. They do good work. Um, we, we make a difference, right? We, we, we drive economic, um, growth in, in the world. And so, you know, dude, just, you know, if, if you don't know what you're talking about and you want to make up stuff, that's great, but preference it by saying, I don't know what I'm talking about. And then also, 
the 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 thing that that I thought a lot about was was the remediation, because he makes six hundred barrels of oil spill sound like the, the apocalypse. Yeah, and he did not talk one bit about people going out and cleaning it up, and the company's paying to have it clean. And now the, the the places the spills were clean, you cannot detect oil anymore, right? And that costs a lot of money. But this industry does the right thing. We have accidents, like every industry. When we have an accident, we go fix it. And and then one last gripe is yeah, back to the point that he has about the the safety of the workplace. Nowhere does he mention at all. I don't even think he mentions when the Bakken hit a million barrels of production, how many workers are up there or anything like that. He just mentions this one statistic and then compares it to, you know, Charlie's Chocolate Factory or whatever. Yeah. So loser. All right. Moving on. <laughs> moving on. Uh, so, yeah, we, we started kind of – we usually start abroad. So let's go back uh, across the, the seas not with John Oliver. OPEC decides to drop the E for new member. Are they OPEC now? <laughs> no, that's just a, a snappy uh, title for this article. So this article is a really, um, really interesting article about uh, Indonesia rejoining OPEC. And the reason they talk about dropping the E is, of course, the E in OPEC stands for exporting. And Indonesia actually, even though they do export, they're a net importer. So mm-hmm. they 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 use more than they produce internally, and so they have to they have to buy it from other countries. And because of um, their relationship with the with um, OPEC, they want to re-trigger their OPEC membership so they can start buying crude from OPEC. And it's interesting. There's there's some tie-ins. There's, there's a lot of politics going on here because OPEC's realizing that it needs to start actually refining fuels and and petrochemicals. So OPEC is allowing or actually wants Indonesia to join so that OPEC can spend some money and build some refining capacity in Indonesia. And of course, if you build refining capacity in Indonesia and you're a member of OPEC, guess where the raw feedstocks would come from for your refineries? Indonesia? From OPEC. Ah. (laughs) Yeah. So it'd be like you going to build a Walmart somewhere knowing damn good and well that Walmart has to use your facilities to, to bring all the stuff and, and fill the store with goods to be bought, right? They had to use your trucks or, or whatever. So it's very smooth, shrewd political move. And it's actually going to benefit everybody. So Indonesia's uh, decision to suspend its OPEC membership was prompted by the growing internal demand for energy, declining crude oil and condensate production in mature fields, and limited investment to increase production capacity. What changed? Um, so what what changed is the low crude price now has OPEC scrambling to bring in some more members, right? Some members that will actually stick to the to the um, um, production um, edicts. So they tell you to raise production, go, uh, reduce production. And what's happening is, uh, you know, we think, we've, we talked about this before, if this low crude price continues and if the sanctions stay that U.S. and uh, Europe have on Russia, you, you may actually see OPEC destabilize from a political point of view, right? Some of its member countries won't be able to keep up this this production uh, and don't don't want to sit around with these low crude prices. So if you have countries if you have countries that are that are bail on OPEC, OPEC needs to invest and have some more countries join to kind of balance that out. So that's what's that's what's changed. That's what's actually going on from a political point of view from the OPEC side of the house. Got it. So. They they just need more more team members that are going to be uh, company right. men, right? Basically. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, uh, I- including Indonesia again, Iran, Indonesia, 
energy complementarity. This this really caught my eye. So what's going on here? So this is a, it's funny. This is a totally separate article from a totally separate source, but it ties in exactly what we were just talking about. So Iran's production is going to come back online, right? Because because um, we've we're going to lift we're going to lift the ban. Um, you know, we've talked about this before, and, and people have some different opinions than me on this. But I actually think this is a good thing, and it's a good thing long term wise because the U.S. historically can take people that hate our guts and make them our best buds, right? Think about World War II. Um, we nuked Japan, and now they're our best buds in the world. Same way with Germany. So by allowing Iran to start exporting, we're going to help their economy. And if the U.S. Um, shows Iran what Western capitalism looks like, I promise you somewhere down the road, instead of Iran being a thorn in our side, Iran's going to be an ally of ours. And, uh, you know, of course, you tied this back into Israel, and, and I, I could spend hours talking about that. But this story is about how Iran's partnering with Indonesia um, to actually start um, exporting crude to Indonesia and increasing refining capacity. So Iran's actually wants to build five more refineries in Indonesia, which is what we talked about in the previous article about how it makes sense if you go help them build refineries and they need that refinery um, production, where would they get the oil to, to run those refineries? They'll go get it from OPEC, and in this case, they're going to get it from Iran. So in, in summary, Indonesia's about to make a rain. <laughs> they're well, about to make a yeah, bunch of Indonesia's money. Indonesia's doing some good stuff, right? Their, their economy is growing. Um, they have an increased need for energy. And what better place to get it from, even from an environmental point of view, than natural gas, right? So um, th th this is a good deal for everybody. And it's, um, it's, it's, in, Indonesia's growing, right? And so um, this is what happens when the Indonesian government makes some shrewd moves politically correctly <laughs> with the Middle East. All right, so moving away from Indonesia onto Azerbaijan to South Europe, we got some pipelines coming online. Yeah, now, now this this type of pipeline basically going from um, you know, the, the west coast um, of, of Italy. Uh, as, yeah, no, no, no. So oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Literally, East. Yeah, yeah from, basically from the Caspian Sea to all the way to the southern coast of Italy. This has been talked about and tried by several different companies and governments many times, and it never got done. And it looks like it's actually going to get done because it's a there's a huge market from the gas fields uh, in the west to the uh, to to Europe. There's a huge demand in Europe for that gas. So all we need is a way to move it, and that's what this pipeline is. So when you build a pipeline across that that much. Are there going to be terminals that that feed, you know, throughout Turkey, throughout Greece, and so forth? Yeah. So what will happen is they get this pipeline built first, and then you'll start seeing what's called feeders, right? You'll have other areas of gas production where they'll bring it in, and then you may have other areas in Europe where you may want to offload it, like terminals. And so the, the main pipeline will be built, and then you'll probably have another 50 years of feeders being built or terminals being built on either end of the pipeline. So they mentioned Russia here. How do they play in? So um, – They've been dependent on on Russia for transport forever. So if they build their own pipeline, they're no longer dependent on Russia. And, and this is the thing I keep referencing. If, you know, if these sanctions stay on Russia, it, you can see a lot of change. And here's a good example of it where um, they're actually building the capacity to move this gas themselves outside of Russia. Um, mm. And so you know you can see how that eventually may end up hurting Russia which if if you know because of the sanctions we have against Russia is not actually a bad thing. In, in as far as I'm scanning here, it looks so Turkey is pretty much uh, quarterbacking this deal. Yep, Turkey's quarterbacking this thing, which is interesting because I, I don't even know if you know this. I actually got published in the Turkish 
American Chamber of Commerce magazine. <laughs> no, I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. So here, there's my tie into Turkey. I'll, full disclaimer, you know, I actually got published in the, the Turkish American uh, magazine. <laughs> that's that's great. Well, um, any any anyone who can decrease dependence on Russia, thumbs up to you. Um, yep. You have to watch, by the way, off, just off topic, Mark. I don't I don't know if you have Netflix, but there's this documentary called Winter on Fire, and I can't remember the subtitle. But um, a documentary filmmaker was he was there the the moment that the government decided basically did all of the stuff about not joining the EU and then and then you know got ousted and everything that started all of the everything that's going on in Ukraine. It is one of the most human displays of unity that that I've seen ever, and and that's. Man, I, I, I'm, I watch a lot of documentaries, but these people, to watch them come together as it's happening, as it's unfolding, and, and then, you know, kind of interspersed with the, the survivors telling the story, it's amazing. It was like they're watching their 1776 happen live. Yeah, so, I'll have to check it out. I, yeah. And I do have Netflix. Yeah. Hey, Netflix, if you're listening, we're, we're looking for sponsors. <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> Let's talk, Netflix. Um, all right, so over to the Globe and Mail. Uh, China looks to spur shale gas industry as companies halt exploration. Yeah, this is not surprising to me. So uh, China made a lot of uh, noise about their shale fields that they have, and they created um, a lot of uh, joint ventures and some duty-free zones to try to get – um, operators over there, you know, uh, ConocoPhillips, I think, spent some time over there. Shell was over there, and basically, the the quality of their shale fields, somebody lied about. I'm not not sure who lied about it, but somebody lied about. It. So nobody communist, can get communist communist <laughs> lied. Are you telling me that communist lied? Um, I'm just saying somebody lied about the quality of the shale fields, and so nobody can make any money there. So everybody's pulled out, and so now China and, and China, to its credit, China is trying to to, to actually produce shale gas because it's better for their environment. They have a horrible pollution problem because most of their energy comes from burning coal, and they want to switch to gas, which would be better for their environment. Um, but now what's happening is the government is 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 backing off on its own subsidies for these shell players. Um, China National Oil Company actually backed away from the shell plays. I mean, so their own nationalized oil company backed away from it. So, um, and in this low crude price environment that's going on right now, there's just not, it's, that doesn't make financial sense. So, you know, China needs to rethink its its game and figure out how they're going to get people, operators out there to help them develop these fields. But lying about the quality of the fields is not one way to get it done. So you said one line there, and I want to get to know what that means. So you said they're decreasing their subsidies. What's yeah, so the, the government itself of China was paying operators to go develop the shale fields. It was a subsidy. And the government itself is backing off on doing that because it just it doesn't make financial sense. Got it. And Canada is in here. <laughs> I don't know what they're yeah, doing. So, you know, let's, I'm glad you brought that up. I've been saying this forever and people won't pay any attention to me. But if we don't buy the, the heavy oil sands crude from Canada, they're going to sell it to China. And here's – in this article, they're talking about how Chinese – how Canada is partnered with China. And I'm telling you, if we don't get Keystone completed, Canada will just build a pipeline across the country and start selling the heavy crude to China. And from an environmental and safety point of view, I promise you, you want Shell and Valero – um, to be refining this stuff in the U.S., you don't want China refining it in China. It's, it's totally different impact to the environment. And wow, I, I'm I'm going to lean in and be John Oliver now. 
Uh, on Tuesday, the University of Calgary will announce the creation of five new training courses at the Beijing site of its global research initiative in unconventional hydrocarbon resources. So that that's uh, that's pretty big deal when you have uh, a university. Those yeah. are those are some serious relationships that are being that are being formed in that situation. Yeah, and you don't hear this in the news. You don't hear anybody on either side of the political spectrum talking about if we don't get Keystone finished, that that oil's going up in China and it's going to be worse for the the planet. Nope. All right, Mark Lacour, twenty sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, maybe not. Uh, maybe twenty twenty, possibly. No. Uh, I, you know, I, I. I, I you just you just you just want to do your thing at the API. I get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So metal miner with resilience. I'm not so sure about that um, word they came up with, but low Saudi oil prices are making U.S. shale production more efficient. Operational efficiency for the win once again. Yeah. So this is a I have a mixed opinion. This article. So first thing they're talking about how the usual thing, how Saudi's trying to kill the U.S. shell producers, which is not true. Quit People quit telling that story. It's not true. All right. So there's one half of it, which makes me want to discount it. But then they actually um, they have some good numbers in here, and they have some good information. They're talking about how Saudi's having to dip into its savings account. You know, they have $370 billion saved, but they're burning $130 billion a year this year, whereas last year they actually made money, right? Made $264 billion. This year they're upside down. They're having to dip in their savings account. So you can do the math. If you're burning through $130 billion a year and you have $370 billion, how much longer can you can continue to do that? Not very long, three years-ish, right? So we know the price could come back, and, and, and this is one of the leading indicators. So this article is a mix of, um, of stuff that's not true with some really good facts. And figures. What are they talking about when they mention the banking equation? The the banking the, equation. They talk about they talk about uh, the banking system and, and is this basically um, funds drying up for shale production lending or something? Well, well, yeah. So it's interesting. Most and you know this. Most of the shale producers are small independent operators, yep. and so far for them to get cash, they basically go to the bank. Well, with the low crew prices, banks are less likely to loan money to these operators. So that the the that part of the equation means that you can have marginal shell producers basically go out of business, and, and that's just part of what happens in a low crew environment. So, but that's what they're talking about. They talk about the banking equation. Got it. Got it. All right. All right. Moving on, we got some some good news for refiners. Maybe refiners have something left in the tank for Morningstar. Yeah, this is a good financial article about how refineries are in a good place, which if you listen to the show, you know you knew that anyway, um, and that they, they have some cush room. So regardless of what happens in the global crude market, refineries should continue to ma- maintain a strong um, profit margin. Uh, f- and like they say in this article, they don't, they don't want to say forever, but it will be for a very long time. The combination of strong demand and refinery outages has boosted gasoline margins about 50% this year. Can you unpack that? Yeah, so typically in the U.S., fuels are not a high-margin business, jet fuel, diesel, gasoline, blah, blah, blah. Well, because of the very low crude prices, and then quite honestly, our refineries are the best refineries in the world as far as efficiencies, um, they're actually making good money on making fuels, which is which is not historically how it happens. Um, where the and Another thing that they don't talk about in, in this article, but it plays into this, where the real money is being made in downturn now is petrochemicals. Mm-hmm. That It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. I have an article sitting on my desk. Exxon's chemical division year over year increased its profitability 63%. That's mm. crazy growth, right? Exxon. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, 
A lot of um, zeros involved in that. Yeah. But but anyway, this article is showing how the strength in the, in the refinery market is not going anywhere anytime. And, and you know, we agree 100%. Good article, good numbers. Um, once again, we don't do stock investment um, recommendations. Don't take our word for this to go buy stock. But it's um, it's, it's it's good good solid financial article. Does this tie into the to the 2016 prediction that you don't want to make yet? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say about this. All right, perfect. Well, well, we'll leave everyone hanging on that one. So, I look forward to that episode, whatever whatever number it is. Yeah, it'll actually come out in November. In November of this year, we'll make our predictions for 2016. So, you got to wait till November, which is only a month away. Yeah, that's just a month away. Almost turkey time. It was already turkey time up in Canada. Happy Thanksgiving to all our Canadian listeners, yeah? Yep, happy Thanksgiving, Canada. Uh, U.S. shale surge <laughs> saves dying chemical plants, uh, chemicals plant 3,300 miles away from Bloomberg business. Yeah, this is a great article. So in the U.K., there's, I think it's the largest public company in the U.K. It's called Ineos Group, and they're a, ke- a petrochemical company. They make everything, um, I mean, everything you can imagine. And so they're about to actually go belly up. And because of the load um, prices for, for things like ethylene, which comes from natural gas, we have companies now that are starting to ship it to them. And so it's totally overhauled their business. So their profits are up. They're spending money on um, manufacturing or building this huge ethylene storage tank, all because of the natural gas coming from Pennsylvania. How cool is that? We saved a UK co- – Pennsylvania saved a UK company. Nice work, Pennsylvania. <laughs> nice yeah. work. And think about all the jobs that, that – I mean you're talking about thousands and thousands of jobs because Pennsylvania can sell them ethylene gas cheap. Yeah, so output of crude oil and liquids uh, uh, fuels in the North Sea has fallen by 50% since uh, uh, 2005, I should say, while U.S. exports of natural gas liquids and liquid refinery gases surged 16-fold in that period. Yeah, the North Sea is declining production, right? Um, and it's expensive, and it's and it's dangerous, which dries up the cost. As opposed to Pennsylvania, where they're cranking this stuff out left and right. And don't think that we're giving that stuff away. Our company, so this is Sunoco Logistics, who actually has a location right here in my backyard. Um, Sunoco's making good money on this, but the European Ineos company is buying stuff. Their feedstock so cheap that they're able to revitalize their business. So it's kind of a win-win all the way around. Yeah, and and so they they talk a, a lot about ethane in here. Um, explain the ethane angle of this story. So ethane is a gas that is in natural gas, so you can separate it. You you take ethane and you put it in something called an ethylene cracker, and you convert ethane to ethylene, which is what you use to make plastics. Mm-hmm. So um, the ethylene cracker growth globally is exploding, and in our backyard, James. There's 85 billion with a B billion dollars worth of ethylene cracker projects um, being stood up right now, and and you don't once again you don't hear that in the news. You don't hear about how that part of the industry is exploding in growth, but it is. Yeah, to back that up, U.S. ethane production jumped 24 percent in the first half uh, from the same period in 2010. Yeah, so, and that's all from the shale boom, right? It's all from our frackers, or 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 our unconventional shale players, however you want to call that. <laughs> however you want to call that. All I've right. met a lot of those guys. They truly are unconventional. <laughs> they are truly unconventional players. All right. So um, thus concludes our our uh, standard week. Uh, just just to just to piss off John Oliver, I did throw in um, a positive story from Seeking Alpha called "Possible Midstream Move and Debt Reduction Through Fiscal Discipline." Oasis Petroleum. So I threw that in there, and then we 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 have confirmation that the people like. 
the weekly onion mark. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whoever that is, I wish you wouldn't have let James know that, but oh well, tie the bag. Deal with it, homie. All right, <laughs> impressive. All right, the Weekly Onion, impressive new hire figures out bare minimum of work required on first day. Yeah, so um, little does he know, as Mr. Roan would say, <laughs> the uh, the seeds of his own destruction are, be, are have already been sowed by his disastrous philosophy. <laughs> so um, you're not going to laugh? No, you got nothing. No, I I, you, I just don't think it's funny. You just don't think it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know. But, you know, the people in the audience that think it's funny, it's great. <laughs> I love the banter. All right. On to the events. Um, what do we got? What do we got coming up here? We've got uh, Boots and Bling. Yeah, so this is a great charity event. Um, it, it benefits um, um, Augie's Quest um, and Employer Partners Care Foundation, Oilfield Helping Hands, all oilfield charities, right? And so this is a chance for you to uh, have a couple of drinks, do some dancing, do some auctions, have some good food, and the money goes for just a fantastic cause. So we're, you can stick a link up there, James, so they can uh, people can check it out. Yeah, and thanks for mentioning the link. And everybody can can get to the show notes where we have all of the links for the stories that we talk about, as well as all of the events and everything at triberocket.com forward slash TW33. So, um, so yeah, the boots and bling is right there, and that is happening next Thursday, October 22nd at 6.30. Uh, go go drink some booze and, and, and put your cowboy boots on. Yep, have a good time. And it, like I said, the money goes to just a fantastic cause. At One Shell Plaza, which is pretty easy to find. Um, yes, it is. Nomad's annual golf tournament. Yeah, this is exactly what it says. This is Nomad's annual golf tournament. Yeah, but shout out the- to Nomad's, though. Yeah, shout out to Nomad's. Um, Nomads is is the last bastion of the good old boy network in oil and gas. It's a great organization. It's a bunch of manufacturers. Um, they do some good stuff, uh, and and they do a lot of scholarships. So so the money for this golf tournament, besides you getting to rub elbows with people like from Halliburton and Baker Hughes and Slumberjay and you know BP and Exxon, the money actually goes to their scholarship fund, which once again it's a good cause. Yeah. So that is happening next Friday, October twenty third, uh, at the Black Horse Golf Club. And then lastly, I'm going to call out Heart Energy because the Doug Eagleford Conference is coming up, and one of us may or may not have been told we're not influential enough to get press passes. Yeah, it's, um, I, I was a bit shocked. I, I don't know what the deal is with that, but um, our audience may, may not know this, but James and I often get press passes um, because people see us as, as part of the media. And then we, in return, try to do some good reporting on the events that we go to. And I promote the hell out of them. Yeah, I mean, you get, yeah, (laughs) anyway, we both do, right? I mean, you read it from my newsletter. And so Hart tells me that we're not part of the main media and we don't have enough reach to make it, and it's like, okay, bye. All right. Over 110 countries around the world, not that, no reach. Yeah. No reach. All right. So I'm calling out you, whoever you are listening to this at Hart Energy. We can be friends. We can work this out. We don't need, we can squash this beef. (laughs) <laughs> just 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 uh get at us homie <laughs> and then it'd be triberocket.com forward slash tw33 and then we have a a new segment here we stand corrected yeah so uh hats off to uh jared head jared uh heard us on i don't know which episode it was and i actually had something i was wrong on well i think yeah i i i said hey it was uh, you know, a couple episodes ago i was i said what is a class one railroad and and you just immediately said i have no clue <laughs> 
Oh, that's right. You're right. I didn't know. And so Jarrett was nice enough to actually tell us what a, a class one is. And it has to do with um, the Railroad Commission in Texas is having to regulate compliance of pipelines from PHMSA, which I guess, Jared, you need to tell us what that stands for, <laughs> but it's some type of regulatory agency. But hey, Jared, man, thank you, thank you, thank you. We love when our audience helps us with stuff or corrects us with things. So yeah, thanks thanks for reaching out, brother. Yeah, so it's it, the the full text here. I was I was listening to the podcast and believe I heard you, uh, what is a, a class one railroad? It has to do with what you just said, Mark. And then the new rule starting October 15th is all non-dot lines have to have documentation reviewed by the Railroad Commission. So if y'all know what dot to dot lines are or whatever that is, make sure you get that taken care of. Um, you know, not because I always get my stuff taken care of. My my driver's license is, isn't isn't still South Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and, and share the love. So we've got uh, a couple of people hit me up on LinkedIn. Clay Heath. Uh, this is this. Uh, I responded to him. These kind of stories are the reason we do this show. So I, I said, hey, you know, how'd you find my profile? He says, I listened to your podcast and thought I'd connect uh, with you on here. I listen to your show when I'm driving around to my different well pads to stay aware of what's going on in the field. I'm always pumped when a new one comes out and like sharing what I learned with my coworkers. I've been telling them they need to listen to your show because you guys are doing an awesome job and keep uh, of keeping things interesting. So thank you for that, Clay. And yeah, Clay, if, thank you very much. Yeah, it's freaking awesome. Like, there it is right there. That That is the fuel. I told him in my reply, that's the gasoline on my fire that, that keeps me going. Um, just so anybody out there, spread the love. Tell your, tell your coworkers, tell your company, uh, whoever it is. And, if, and if, if, if you work for a big enough company that might want to sponsor, <laughs> Tell the CEO. Um, and then Nicholas Wilson, uh, again, I say uh, standard practice for me is thanks for linking up, common name. Curious, where did you come across my profile? I'll link in the show notes on Oil Pro. I wrote a post about why I do that to generate leads. So I'll link to that in the show notes. But so he says, no, thank you for accepting. I just recently found this week on oil and gas. I'm on the road for a good bit driving all over, seeing the rigs way up here in North Dakota, and I love great material to listen to. I do my best to keep up on news and industry happenings through articles and such, but your podcast is the best of both worlds for me. I don't have to read and drive. <laughs> Please don't read and drive. Yeah, don't read and drive. I, <laughs> I don't have to read. But the, that's what's so great about audio content is you can do anything, right, while you're absorbing it, right? Um, so he doesn't have to read and drive, which is safe. Anyways, I miss Houston so much. Have some brisket, blue bell, and tacos for me. I like the Onion article, uh, too, <laughs> even if Mark doesn't. Yeah, well, good, Nicholas, because I don't think I can get James to get rid of it. No. No, you can't. Everybody tweet at Mark LaCour, at Mark <laughs> <laughs> underscore L-A-C-O-U-R, and tell him how much you love the Weekly Onion. All right, um, we're about midway through the month, which means that the first Friday Q&A is going to be coming up in a couple weeks. You can go to triberocket.com forward slash QA, and there's a form right there. And then I also installed a way for you to leave us a voicemail. So just click the button and ask your questions. What kind of questions can they ask us, Mark? They can ask us anything. Doesn't mean we'll answer, but they can <laughs> ask us anything. Yeah, but we still have a few left over from, uh, from last week's and that came in right away. So triberocket.com forward slash QA. 
fill out the form or leave us a voicemail. Um, and then why don't you take the LinkedIn group, Mark? Yeah, folks. So as a companion to this podcast, we have a LinkedIn group, right? Sort of like the, the sister to the podcast. If you're not a member, go join. Um, James, I have a link up on, in the show notes to this, but this way you can share what's going on with peers. We, so everybody in our LinkedIn group listens to the podcast and it's in the oil and gas industry. And I've seen a lot of good stuff go back and forth. Um, it's just a way for you to communicate a, a different level with us and with your peers in the oil and gas industry. And episode 32.5, if you liked that episode, that was a direct result of the LinkedIn group. Ephraim said it introduced himself when I first started the group and we went back and forth. Now I'm uh, pray for him, Mark, because he asked me to be on his board. Yeah. So. No, that's awesome, James. <laughs> Thank you. Good work there. <laughs> Thank you. So, so all of that came from the LinkedIn group. So go to tryrocket.com forward slash LinkedIn, and then you can also leave us reviews at tryrocket.com forward slash tw reviews. That will take you straight into iTunes, where you can leave us a five star review, or you can just hate on us all you want with a one star review. Um, man, we covered a lot of ground today, Mark. Are you ready to get out of here? Yeah. Hey, folks, uh, do great work. Pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys. Oh, damn it.